0: Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, if you don't know, we have a couple of their venues, a couple of their campuses. If you're new to Two Rivers, you're here in this room. Uh, there's some folks that are joining us right now, so we're saying good morning to. Amped blend, Roan County. And this morning we get a special greeting down in Bearden. There's been some people that have been key to carrying the load down there. And one of them is a guy by the name of Brian who goes by old Brian. Another guy who's a little bit younger, he goes by the name cool Brian. I'm not sure which one you would want to be. Those guys... Good morning to you. So with that, if you would grab your Bible, we're going to be in Exodus chapter 16. Now, a little background to that story. Cool Brian has had his mom joining in all along because I told him in some week, I'm going to say good morning to you, Cool Brian. He didn't believe me that I was actually going to do it. Uh, so as we jump in, we're, we're in a series in Exodus called Reconstruction, Building Faith on Relationship. Now, I, I don't know about you. Uh, here's what I have in my past. We've had the opportunity, my wife and I have had the opportunity to renovate two homes. One of of them minor, uh, one of them major. And you say, how major? Basically an entire reconstruction of the main floor, of the home that we bought when we first moved here. And anybody who's done a major house renovation or even a minor house reservation know, renovation knows that as soon as you start tearing things apart, you get surprised that people would have been that dumb to build a house that way. How could anybody have ever done it that way? What were they thinking when they, and all of a sudden, it's just as soon as you start tearing it apart, you're like, what? I was not expecting this. What you have to have anyway, though, Is a plan. If you go into a a renovation project without a plan of, of how you're going to reconstruct it, you are certain to end up on a TV show about living in your renovation project for 10 years. Without a plan, The thing's never going to get rebuilt. But your plan's got to be flexible. You have to adjust. You got to be flexible on the way. you would be like, whoa, I didn't see that coming. Why would anybody have put the plumbing in an exterior wall? Anybody who's lived north of here knows you don't build a house with plumbing in the exterior wall. It freezes. Here in in Knoxville, they didn't think that was a thing. Why does the plumbing freeze? Because you put it in the exterior wall and you didn't insulate it. Hey, there's a nice little find along the way. So you got to make some adjustments. And this is true in this series as we talk about reconstructing our faith. As we come to uh, the book of Exodus, we've already been through the first 15 chapters, and we're going to build on that foundation. The first 15 uh, chapters of the book of Exodus actually form a foundation that the rest of the Old Testament builds upon. It builds upon some foundational truths that that we have to buy into or, yes, we are going to be sadly disappointed in the God of the Scriptures. And that takes us to this weekend's big idea. Faith is built on knowing God can be trusted in everything. Faith is built on knowing God can be trusted in everything. And some of you are saying, is that true? Everything... Because you've experienced disappointment. You, you've experienced tragedy. You've experienced some circumstances in your life that you would go, I, I don't know that God can be trusted. You, you've had those crisis moments where you're like, whoa, or maybe you're in the midst of one of those crisis moments where you're going, wow, I, I know intellectually that, that God can be trusted, or at least I should be trusting God right now. But in my experience, it's, it's way beyond what I, I would have, ma- have imagined that my circumstances find me in a place that, that I would say, I, I wouldn't have expected God to put me here. So what do we do then? Well, we have to make sure that we've built our lives on the truth. We often talk about that, but, but really tearing apart the things that we think we believe in order that we would rebuild them on the truth of God's word. And one of the things we've talked about as we've gone through this book of Exodus is, and I'm going to use the word a lot, <laughs> two words, a lot. We misunderstand a lot about what God has revealed about himself in the Old Testament. Many of us have have turned the God of the Old Testament into a character of wrath and destruction and the God of the New Testament as a guy by the name of Jesus who fixes everything that the God of the Old Testament did wrong, Jesus does right in the New Testament. You haven't heard me phrase it quite that way but that's kind of the way we think of it. And and we're trying to link together that the God of the Old Testament is not a new God. Yahweh, the Lord, the God of the, the children of Israel is Jesus, put on flesh, right? Yahweh in the flesh. His name is Jesus. And if, if we have this expectation that God's going to disappoint us at some point, or he's disappointed in the past, we end up approaching our relationship with Jesus with suspicion. And if we approach our relationship with, uh, with Jesus with suspicion, we are sure to be disappointed, any relationship in your world, if you approach it with suspicion, you will be disappointed. And that's true of your spouse. That's true with your kids. Kids, that's true with your parents. If you're expecting them to do the wrong thing, if, you're, if you have already put the negative narrative in your mind about the way your spouse is going to do something, you are absolutely guaranteed they are going to live up to your expectation. And the same is true about Jesus. If you already have hit disappointing you at the foundation of your relationship, it's cracked, it's faulty, because it's not built on what's true. I'm going to invite you to go ahead and turn to the end of Exodus chapter 15, the last series. That's where we left off, but it's where this series picks up. And we're going to be looking and building upon this foundational truth. That God's salvation demonstrates he can be trusted. These first 15 chapters, God has taken the children of Israel who were in captivity for 400 years in Egypt, that, that he has taken them, and he's now made them into a new creation. We talked at length over weeks about the, the deconstruction and reconstruction, the, the deconstruction of their world and the reconstruction of them as a people, as, he, as they pass through the, the Red Sea, and emerge into the wilderness, they now emerge as a recreated people to live out God's purpose. For the children of Israel, it's a demonstration of, of, of trusting God. They've already trusted God. They had to trust God in order to flee from Egypt. But now it's going to be, what does it look like for us to live in relationship with the God of the scriptures? And, and one of the distinctions that we've, we've made is, is that often people think of the Old Testament, they think, well, how were people in the Old Testament saved? As we read about these people in the Old Testament, how did they experience salvation? And many of us have been wrongly taught that the people of the Old Testament experienced salvation through the law. That isn't what we see in the Bible. What we've seen is that it's, it's believing God. That's called faith. Another word, trust, the word in trust and faith, same word, that it's trusting God. And, and that's how the people of the Old Testament are saved. And we see that here in the Exodus. They experience the salvation of God because they did what God said. They believed him. God's not lying. We're gonna do what he says. And they experienced God's salvation. But now from chapter 16 in the book of Exodus forward, we're gonna see a stark difference in experience between the children of Israel and God's people today. And the difference is how the relationship is lived out. How do we live out the relationship with the God of the scriptures? The children of Israel lived out the relationship through the law. We live out relationship through the power of the Holy Spirit, who has written the law of God upon our hearts. There's a difference. And that's foundational as we begin. Now... If we come to the end of the book of Exodus chapter 15, sorry, in the end of the chapter, we saw that they, they get a test. And they, they, they flee, they enter in, they begin the journey into the wilderness. They're three days into the wilderness, and they come to some water, but they can't drink it. And so they, they say to Moses, what, what are you doing? How, how, what You let us here, and there's nothing to drink. And so that's the first test. What do we drink? And and so as they come to this test, Moses responds by crying out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a, a tree, right? A log, and he threw it into the water, and the water became sweet. There the Lord made for them a statute and a rule, and there he tested them, saying, If you will diligently listen to the voice of the Lord your God and do that which is right in his eyes, and give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you. I put on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord your healer. The test is coming. We talked about last week. The test is coming, and, and uh, as I thought about that a little bit more this week, this that was the first of three series of tests that we're going to talk about this week. That the test is coming. We can't avoid the test because life is the test. Living in a broken world is the test. They go into the wilderness. This isn't something God did to them. They just experienced the reality of living in the wilderness. And the Bible is primarily a theology book. And so along the way, we're going to point to some, some important background information that we would understand because the wilderness represents something. It's just not a dry place. It's the place of chaos. They go into the place that, in the mind of an ancient Israelite, that they would have understood as the land of the the. We might think of it as the uh, God's other side. That that maybe we might oversimplify it by saying the demonic. It's the world of the unknown. It's the land of chaos. It's the chaos land. And that's where they live. Do you know where we live? We live in the chaos land. We live in the wilderness. That's called called life on earth. That's called existing on earth today. We live in the wilderness. Now, some of us have had wilderness experiences. And we we use that phrase. We we use this, like it, it, it symbolizes in our lives those experiences where we felt distant from God. But maybe that's not the right way to think of it. Because wilderness experiences, God was never so close to the children of Israel than he was in the wilderness He was right there, tangibly present. He was providing every step along the way. They weren't paying attention to it, but he was right there. And as you think of those difficult experiences in your life that that you question whether or not God was actively present in your world and where were you, and I was disappointed, I, I would encourage you to reflect back on where did you see him in those moments. And so during worship just this morning, I had, wow, memory like flooded over me. I started crying what? Where did that come from? I've told you about my dad passing away suddenly, and um, he died of a hemorrhage in the brain. Um, I haven't really shared this story of another guy in my world. My wife and I were, were a part of a, of a church another time, another place, and um, I was, okay, here's just the brutal truth. I was young, and I was dumb, man. I was, I, I, I just, I had no idea what I was doing, I am so grateful for those people suffering through some really bad Bible teaching. Um, I'm really grateful that, that they, they tolerated me. Um, but along the, that journey, there was a guy that God provided. And um, his name was Lanny. Whew, I was hoping that was over. <laughs> and Lanny, Lanny was... There were a couple guys during that time, but Lanny was a go-to guy. He was retired, had, had, had lived in this town um, growing up, and had moved away, and had moved back, and he was part of the church that we were part of, and he led the search team that, that invited me there, and um, man, when everybody else flipped and turned around, they were like, ooh, who are you, and we're not sure we like you, Lanny was like, no, I know God called you here. A couple other guys in my world at that time. And so when I got the call that, that Lanny was in the emergency room, I was like, what, Lanny? So, so I, I drove there, and I remember I, I had this memory come flooding back over me. I remember watching, walking into the emergency room and seeing an image on the computer screen. And that image, okay, I'm not a medical person at all, but I, I could go, that's an image of a brain, and, and that's an image of a brain with blood on it. walking in that room not him why him why now What are we going to do now? In the midst of all of that, God, what are we going to do now? And here's what's true. In that moment, it requires that we believe what God has said. When life is dark, God has taught us stuff in the light. God has shown us who he is. He's shown us his character and his nature that he's a God who can be trusted and he didn't take us through the wilderness just to abandon us there. And, and, and that moment we have to go, God, I don't get this, but I know it's true. All right, super cool story. <laughs> that was brutal. Here's the cool part. So, so I get to be with, with Lanny's family. And um, man, I, I don't know why God sent me to that church and that place. And his son shows up. He's like, man, I would come to visit. I come to visit here. And, and I would say to my dad, I'd be like, what's that guy doing here? Why, why is he here? And Lanny's like, I don't know. He's not going to be here long, but I'm loving it while he's here. Launched me. That launched me in trusting that it wasn't all accident. It all just didn't happen. I didn't hear God wrong along the way. I hadn't made a mistake. That God hadn't jacked things up along the way. It was like, oh, this isn't a mistake. Lanny never told me that. But through his son, I was like, oh, He knew that we were just passing through. So grateful that that God uses those experiences to draw us close. Now, here's what's true about relationships. As the test comes, it's either going to push us apart or draw us together. And here's what happens to the children of Israel. They begin to grumble. As you read this week in the Live It Out, Every time you see the word grumble, go back to 15 there at the end of 15, highlight the grumble and then mark every time the grumble is is there because you're supposed to see that they are grumbling about grumbling because they are grumblers. And the whole congregation, the people of Israel, grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full, for you have brought us out of the wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Can't we just go back to the good old days? Some of you live with that mentality. You think yesterday was the good old days. That doesn't exist. The good old days aren't as good as you remember. They're not. Go back and think about in in our cultural past. Like They're not as good as you remember. The good old days are not the place that God is calling us to. He's calling us to the next place. That's how God works. Do you trust me to take you to the next place? But the world's falling apart. Do you trust me? We can't possibly believe in the God of the Bible and freak out that the world's falling apart. Those two things don't coexist. Not for people who believe that God can be trusted. But they're human. It's what we do. And there comes the next test. Okay. First was, what do we drink? it's what do we eat? They, 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 what do we eat? How are we possibly going to survive? There's no food out here. Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I'm about to rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. So right there, I, I want to encourage you to circle the word test and the word law. That word test is is the, the three tests that we're talking about, and the word law there, right in your margin, instruction. Whether or not they will follow my instruction. Now, here's why that's important. We use that word law, and we'll we'll talk more in this series about that word law. The way that we've been taught about the law is like it's one thing, but it's lots of different things in the sense of here, the law, as we understand it, as the law code that's going to be revealed further on in the book of Exodus is not what's being talked about yet. Why? They don't have it yet will they not walk in my instruction? Because that's the word that we hear law and we translate as legal code. That's the word. It's God's loving instruction. Will they not walk in what I say? Will they not follow my instruction? And here was his instruction. Six days, go out, gather gather this They call it, what is it? We don't know what that is. What is it? it, They end up calling it manna, and that just means, what is it? What's that? We don't know what that is. It's something, and it's the bread from heaven. It's on the ground every morning. We go out, and it's there, and they're supposed to gather it for six days, but on the seventh day, they're supposed to go out and not gather it. They're not supposed to go out. They're just supposed to take it as a day off. It's a Sabbath day. It's a seventh-day rest that represents it reflects the, uh, Genesis 1. Okay, It represents God's creative activity in the world. Then that, that on the seventh day, God took rest. And there's a whole long explanation of that that we don't have time to, to touch. But here's what we need to know. They, God had given them very specific instructions. So what do they do? They don't do it because that's what they do. So Moses and Aaron said to all the people at evening, You shall know that it was the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord, for he has heard your grumbling against the Lord for... What are we that you grumble against us? God is gracious. You've grumbled, but God is gracious, and you're going to know. Another key thing to see is you are going to know that that I am the Lord. You you need to know this. Why? I'm going to give you supernatural provisions that's going to show you that I am the Lord. So don't do it. And whatever you do, don't leave any in your house overnight. Moses said to them, let no one leave it over till the morning. But they did not listen to Moses. Some left part of it till the morning and it bred worms and stank. And Moses was angry with them. It's not, you don't get leftovers. Some of you are like, like leftovers are next to, like it's the most godly thing you can do. You never throw away food. It's not going to Africa, folks. Okay, if you don't eat it, it's Okay. All right? It's okay. It's fine. You'll be fine. you are be like, yeah, but I came out of the, the war back in the day. It's fine. All right? It's not going somewhere else. You don't have to eat it. Children of Israel are like, oh, we're not sure we're going to have tomorrow. That's what we were supposed to see in this story. It's not like, hey, it's, I'm going to provide for myself because I'm not sure God can be trusted. I'm going to hedge my bets. I'm going to keep some to tomorrow because it might not show up tomorrow. The same is true on the six days you shall gather. The seventh day, you're going to have enough. You're actually going to, you don't even have to like fast that day. You'll have enough on the sixth day. It'll get doubled and you'll have enough for day six and seven. It's going to be enough. But on the seventh day, some of the people went out to gather because that's what we do. Don't you just have to go and see if it's true? Hey, is there some out there? Nope, it's not there. And the Lord said to Moses, how long will you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? And here it's once again, how long will you refuse to listen to what I say? This sounds a lot like the garden. Don't eat of that tree. One tree, one thing, just the one thing, one command. Don't do that. Don't eat of that tree. And now here we see the children of Israel delivered into the wilderness to walk with God, to learn how to live in relationship with God. And it's like, oh, you can't even do the simple. And neither can I. I can't even do the simple. God, I know you showed up back then. God, I can point to stories of what you did then. God, I saw you at work in the midst of that struggle, in the midst of that tragedy, in the midst of that disappointment. I'm not sure you're going to be there in the next. So then we come to chapter 17, and now it switches, and the people test the Lord. And the third test is, again, what will we drink? It's important that you would see the structure. What do we drink? What do we eat? What do we drink? It has everything to do with where we're going to go here in a moment in John. But what do we drink and, and the children of Israel now, they, they, they test the Lord by, by quarreling with Moses, going, okay, hey, that's fine. We got bread to eat, but now we've got nothing to drink. And, and God tells Moses that he's going to give them people, that that water is going to come out of a rock. And we don't have time to dig into all that, but that's super cool for the rest of the Bible. And here, here's what they, they say here in verse 7. Moses called the name of the place Massah and Meribah because of the quarreling of the people of Israel and because they tested the Lord. That's what those two words mean. It means quarreling and testing. Uh, once again, Bible translators helping us out the place of quarreling and testing because of the quarreling of the people of Israel and because they tested the Lord by saying, is the Lord among us or not? Ultimately, they're questioning, the provision is reflecting, has God abandoned us? Did he lead us to this place just to die? Did he lead us to this place just to leave us behind? This is the human heart. Now, here's the thing about the test. The test builds the relationship by growing our faith, okay? The test, as, as we learn to, to rely upon who God is, it actually grows the relationship. I saw a speaker at a leadership conference once. He was talking about people who would self-define their marriage as whether or not they had a happy marriage or, uh, or not. And in that, they had a question about fighting in the marriage, and so uh, w- the research had shown that, that people who defined whether or not their marriage was a happy marriage or not a happy marriage, that it had nothing to do with frequency of fighting. And that should surprise you, because many of us are like, wow, we fight. Is that, is that, can that be defined as a happy marriage? And here's what he said. The research revealed was the defining mark. It had nothing to do with frequency of fight and had everything to do with what happened between the fights. In other words, those people who in relationship, when they had a disagreement, that their distance grew in their relationship, took the time for that relationship to be restored over time. They experienced a separation and they came back together. They experienced a separation and came back together, experienced separation and they came back together. Those people defined their marriage as a happy marriage. But the people who maybe even fought infrequently, but they never reconciled between those fights, they just allowed the gap to grow. And then they defined it this way. We just grew apart. I use that in every time I do premarital counseling. Everybody I've ever done premarital counseling with, they get the diagram. You, you could have, okay, a hundred fights. You can fight every day, every other day. You can fight all the time and you get to the end of the year, you could be in a closer place in harmony with your spouse than somebody who had one fight in a year, but you never draw it into reconciliation. And this is true about how we walk with Jesus. If we just allow our disappointment to drive us apart we will be disappointed. Now here's what's true in human relationships. I don't believe in human relationship that it's ever a hundred percent and zero percent that we would ever just look at the other person and say, okay, the separation in, in our relationship was a hundred percent and zero percent in human relationships. It's never a hundred and zero. It may be 99% and 1%. Okay. It may be that, but, but we're human, and so we all play a part at some level in relationship. That isn't true with God. It's always 100% us. God is unmoving. He is unchanging. And in the midst of tragedy, he did not change. He did not walk out. He did not abandon you. Life in a broken world, is reality. And God is the only way to walk through it. And as we do that, we can experience things. Those of you who've pressed in during those times, you know that you've experienced the closeness of God in a way that you could never experience without those circumstances. And for those people that, that allow that just to push them away, they, they sometimes walk away from God altogether. And here's what it reveals. The relationship was never what we thought it was to begin with. Now I'm going to invite you to turn with me to John chapter 6. And in John chapter 6, Jesus does something super cool. I'm going to give you a little bit of background in John chapter 6. He's just fed 5,000 people, supernatural stuff. He's taken five loaves and two fish. He was teaching, what are we going to eat? He does this miraculous thing, and then um, he draws away from the cloud. He goes up to meet with God on the mountain, Um, and then uh, his disciples, they set sail. Uh, They go out. Um, They're headed to to Capernaum, And, and along the way, Jesus comes just walking across the water. Who's this guy walking across the water? This is Jesus. And Jesus goes on then to teach them about being the bread of life. As the the crowd comes the next day to him, as they're seeking Jesus, we're going to pick up here in verse 29. As they're like, okay, hey, give us us this food that never perishes. Here's, Here's what Jesus says. This is the work of God, that you believe in him who he has sent. So they said to them, then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you. What work do you perform? Our fathers ate man in the wilderness, as it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Jesus just said, I'm manna. I am the bread. Stop looking for manna. I am manna. They said to him, sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Underline that phrase. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Underline never thirst. He's intentionally drawing their minds to this story that we just read. Why? They know the story, and they know that the, test, uh, that, that the manna is presented between two tests of water. Not only am I the bread from heaven, but I am the river of life. I am all that you need. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet you do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me. Whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. For I come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. There he's using another Old Testament reference that has to do with Moses. He, he's pointing to the children of Israel to the fact that he is the fulfillment of God's story. The Jews have the same response as their forefathers. You're going to get to read about it this week when you read the story and you're like, whoa, there's grumbling here. It's supposed to click in your mind. The Jews in Jesus' day had the same reaction as the children of Israel in Moses' day. They're the grumblers. Why? Because they're human. Picking up in verse 47, Jesus clarifies what he's saying. He's saying, He's just connected his, his death and resurrection to saying, I am God's provision. I am all that you need. Jesus is the true bread from heaven who transforms us, first by bringing us from death to life. He takes us from spiritual death to spiritual life and then begins to work to transform who we are. Now, I'm a Bible guy, okay? Okay. I, I want to encourage you that you should be in, live it out every day. You should be in the word. I'm, I'm, I'm for it. I just want you to know I'm for it. But, okay, there's this, this idea out there. Um, when Jesus says that, that I am the bread of life, he's not talking about your daily time in the Bible, okay? Okay? He's talking about all of the provision in your life. When Jesus taught his disciples to pray and he said, pray this way, pray in a like manner, pray in this direction. When he says that we should be praying for our daily bread, that isn't a word from God for the day, okay? That is not what he's saying. He's saying that you would trust me with everything in your world, with all of the provision that today would you give me what i need in what area of life every Area of life is that through maybe a personal time with him through his word through worship Hopefully experience that this week through the live it out. You're like, okay Yeah, it's part of it But it's also in the midst of that crisis in your family in the midst of the crisis Maybe in your kids world where you're having to ask him in the midst of this. What do we do? How do we live this out? Uh, What's it look like for us to trust Jesus in this situation? Ultimately it's important that we would remember something that Jesus says down just a little bit further as the disciples come and he talks about eating, right? that we would have to eat his flesh. He's like, what? You're going to get to read it this week. Jesus, this is a really hard teaching. You're talking about eating your flesh and drinking your blood. Who could possibly understand it? And, and Jesus goes on to say that it's the spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. And we remember from our series in Ephesians that, that it's the promised Holy Spirit that, that seals us, that, that we are united with Christ as we become indwelt. And what distinguishes us as followers of Jesus today from the followers of, of Yahweh, the Israelites in the Old Testament, is that we now have the indwelling Holy Spirit that we can live out the relationship with God through the power of the Holy Spirit in a way that the children of Israel never could. As we learn to walk and trust in the midst of our world, maybe coming undone, but also in the midst of things going great. And so I want to encourage you to, to, as a family, to make it a habit to, to to have the conversation. What does it look like to trust Jesus right now? Maybe maybe your kids come home from school. Maybe they're trying to make a sports team and they didn't make it. They they didn't make the cut and they're they're disappointed. Well, what's it look like for us to? Trust Jesus in that. Or maybe your kid's the superstar, and only one of you could probably have the superstar, all right? Um, maybe your kid is the one. They're the superstar, and they're their team captain. Okay, what does it look like to trust Jesus in that? In your life, what's it look like to trust Jesus in the midst of getting fired, in the midst of getting promoted, in in the midst of living living on the margin as an employee that nobody sees, to being the boss? What's it look like to, to, to be that person and trust Jesus in it? You did not get that promotion at work so you can boss people around. You didn't become the boss So you can boss, you became the boss so that you could demonstrate what it looks like to be a servant to all. What we get to do right now is we get to reflect. I'm gonna ask you to grab your cup and tear it back and grab that little wafer off the top. This is such a gift that God has given us that, that not only is this representative of the, the death and, and resurrection of Jesus, right? Like it's a tangible reminder that he's the bread of life. He's the life-giving source. And, and Jesus, before he went to the cross, he told his disciples that, that, that as he took the bread and he broke it, he said, hey, this is my body that's for you. I gave it for you. So what you hand, what you hold in your hand is a physical reminder of the goodness of God. This is a physical reminder of the goodness of God. He can be trusted because of what you hold in your hand, of what it represents. Jesus is enough. Take and eat with a grateful heart. And as you open the cup, Jesus said that this is now the new covenant. What is the new covenant? It's a new way to live out relationship that's sealed in my blood. That will be sealed through the promised Holy Spirit, who's coming to indwell all of those who have new life in Christ. What you hold in your hand is a physical representation of the life that we have in Christ. It's proof that God can be trusted even in the midst of incredibly great circumstances and in the midst of deep despair and pain. What you hold in your hand says, God is good. Jesus has proved that God is good. Take and drink with a grateful heart. I'm going to invite you to stand. And as you do, I'm going to pray for us. Father, we need you in this moment. Would you come and would your spirit guide our worship? In Jesus' name, amen.